if I was doing no work right now, what would my mission be? What would I do? And it would probably be to spread this exact message, which is that the most impactful person that can impact the mental health crisis is actually like founders and C-suite of companies. Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that is all about finding happiness by embracing changes and following our curiosity. My name is Beta Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and multi-hyphenate. Each week in the show, I unveil the most intriguing aha moments and leaps of learnings of successful leaders, founders, authors, and artists, and how they achieve greatness by staying hyper-curious. Today, I'm so, so happy to welcome the most prolific and generous connector of startups I know. Dan Murray is on a mission to make a global impact on our brain health and mental well-being with his brain care company, Heights. He is a serial entrepreneur, the host of the UK's number one business podcast, Secret Leaders, co-founder of Founders, a private network of incredible founders, and writer at Forbes. In this episode, you learn about why you need to do more of the things that feed your soul and give you energy the concept of brain care and how good nutrition has a bigger impact on our mental health than we think. The importance of being an outsider, asking the most basic questions and following your curiosity in order to make great products. Dan, welcome to Hypercurious. Tell us about your essence as a human, as a leader. Who is Dan Murray in one sentence? Great question. A spiritually curious entrepreneur who loves animals. <laughs> I've never had to do that before, but it works. it works. It works. It works. It uh, works. And you're a great example of someone who does follow your curiosity, even spiritual and, and for everything else, right? When it comes to starting your own businesses as well. So how did you go from super interested in brain and cognitive performance and knowing very little about that particular vertical to starting Heights, which now is a, a really amazing smart supplement company that is, you know, enhancing the cognitive and the brains of thousands of people in the world. I actually think it's really interesting that uh, there's two there's two driving forces, I think, that make heights resonate so much with people. And the truth of both of those things, so one is obviously personal experience. So I had personal experience of, of not looking after my brain and suffering all of the consequences. And it's such a typical story that we hear over and over again, but it obviously completely relatable because a lot of people understand that so my personal circumstances were getting insomnia and really chronic anxiety. And I had it for six months. And, you know, it took me um, that long before someone who recommended I go see a dietitian and the dietitian diagnosed me in, in seconds. Uh, you know, she told basically prescribed me supplements and I was like, oh no, supplements don't work. And she was all annoyed with me. She's like, they, they do. I'm literally, this is my job. I'm a medical professional. Um, it's just that the industry has a bad rep and it makes my job impossible. And I tried everything at this point. You know, I tried you know, sleeping pills that my doctor recommended me because he didn't say go see a dietitian, like all sorts of things. And the supplements worked really quickly uh, within a week. And I was sleeping like a baby and my anxiety had gone away and I'd suffered through that like very typical pain problem of, of, of like a long period of suffering to understand this like insight. So this became a, like a trigger point. So I think one side of this is people 
relate to someone who, you know, insomnia and anxiety are such common mental health problems. And the lack of understanding that nutrition plays an enormous role in solving those issues um, is vast. You know, it's crazy. So people relate to that. And then I think the second part of what makes this, you know, a good approach is literally the, you know, half imposter syndrome, half total curiosity. So because we were not neuroscientists or nutritionists, we had to start everything from first principles, which meant that we had to ask questions that were really dumb. And um, the way that people make supplements is really bad. Like the there is a way that things have always been done here for the last 50, 60 years. And we were asking why, you know, these are like the classic questions that you do as a nosy entrepreneur when you're like, but the category has a massive problem because they sell things that are, they have caking agents and synthetic fillers. And, you know, we found some with rat poison and cyanide and like all sorts of bizarre bulking agency. We're like, what on earth? Like who chose that ingredient? And then, you know, there's a discrepancy between the marketing claims that you can make and the scientific impact that a product will have on you. And so there's like an industry-wide problem. Then there's like a communication customer problem. And then there's like all this trust issue. So for us, you know, if you ask a nutritionist what product you should make, they will go through their training and they'll go through what they already know. And they'll give you like, they'll all give you the same answer. Because we came from a tech background, uh, we ignored all of the common principles of what people say, this is how you make these things, um, and started completely from scratch, which is, well, why? For example, why are the omega-3s, which are so important, why are they in a separate capsule? Why do you have to take that and you also have to take the other ingredients? Answer to that question is uh, quality, bioavailability, you need a special capsule. All of these things, they start coming out and then you understand that the main reason why is because people fill their capsules up with caking agents so that they can make better margin. And you're like, okay, well, we're not going to do that. So that's that's great. And then the next question is, why do people start taking supplements and then never carry on? Oh, because they go in a supplement cupboard with all the other bottles. And so the bottle design, again, coming from a tech background where user experience is so important, we're asking people about their habits, what they currently do with their supplements. And everyone is telling us the same thing, which is like, yeah, I bought them all, but I don't remember to carry on taking them. And you're like, everything I've ever read about habits is all about in the environment. So why don't we put a lot of effort into bottle design so it looks different, no one puts it in their cupboard, it's in front of you all the time, you will remember to take it every day. You know, it's all these things like they're literally dumb questions. You're going in and asking someone who is a supplement taker the most stupid questions. But if you're a nutritionist or a neuroscientist or basically a professional in this industry, you come in knowing all the answers anyway, so you don't do anything differently. So we're quite lucky that our genuine stupidity, our total lack of category understanding, meant that we were like, well, let's just ask all the questions from the ground up and, and go from there. And what's ended up is a totally different product to anyone else in the market, but that's a positive to us. I love that because there's so much lateral thinking applied to that as well. And you're right, when you are in the same industry for since ever, you just go and play by the book, right? And when you're looking from a different perspective and also from a personal drive and struggle, uh, everything becomes different. And then you apply your curiosity and then, you know, magic happens. I love that. I really like and, that. And um, like the main, the main problem that made us super curious the entire time was this question. It's the most important question, which is as a category, the supplements industry has, and especially subscriptions supplements, they have terrible retention rates. So 100 people will buy supplements in month one. 
50 of them are taking it in month two, 25 in month three, and then it's like long tail, which basically means about like, you know, 12 to 12 to 15% of people out of that original 100 are taking it ongoing past three months when they actually scientifically have a benefit of working. So we're like, again, we've built a tech company. So using retention matrices and understanding how to build retention into your product is the most important thing. And we literally have the highest um, retention rates and lowest churn of, I mean, by, I mean, we're exceeding our own predictions of what we were trying to do, which is great. Um, But the reason for that is because all we do is think about retention. So our first three hires in the company, which is very unusual for you know, a product like ours, was literally a head of product, a product manager, and a software engineer. You know, that's a very unusual, like, first three hires in a company selling supplements. But for us, like, everything is about keeping our customers and really figuring out, like, how you turn them into super fans. Um, and that's that's something that people don't think about. Everyone else is just thinking about how do I get as many people in the top of the funnel to just buy our stuff all the time. And like for us, that's not really the right question to ask. Did you learn that from building Rabo? How how did you? Why did you decide to to go for retention as your main yeah, metric? I mean, basically because we built a mobile a mobile shopping app, and you'll know this from gaming as well. But you know the obsessive the obsessive metrics to figure out. I mean, it's the same in, in, in what we were doing to what you do, which is daily active users, monthly active users. So when you become, um, when you're building any of these companies where data is so widely available in such rich form, um, you know the metrics, like you know for a fact that you can't, um, you literally can't spend your money wisely unless you don't have a, what's called a leaky funnel. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, that's that's what we do in games all the time. You yeah, you you don't you don't grow uh or start monetizing properly until you have uh, enough people who are enjoying your product. So get get people to love your product on an ongoing basis, on a frequent basis, and then you'll be able to build a relationship, monetize more, and add so much more value to their to exactly. their life. And right? it all comes down to curiosity. Like it really like everything comes down to curiosity. So like, you know, we're never like the question we ask so at the moment, our churn rate um, is 6% um, a month, which is like I say, industry defining. And the only question we ask ourselves is if we did X, Y, and Z, would we get it down to 5%? You know, that, that, and that, but we're asking right. our customers, you know, so we do like customer interviews all the time, especially most importantly, you know, it's like when you, when you have someone who leaves your company doing an exit interview, same thing. Obviously the 6% that are churning, there's a reason for it. So we're like obsessed of like following up with them, finding out all the information that we could. And it's amazing because taking that approach, you wouldn't think that that approach would work as well in a physical product company as it does a tech company, but it really does. Like these marginal gains of, of, of insights that customers give you as they leave are exactly what improves your product for next time. It's really fascinating. And, and I, you know, I've not run a proper physical product company before. So I guess I was a little bit skeptical that these things would make a material impact, you know, because if you're running a digital product like an app, you know, you can make you know, so many different landing pages and all of these different things to improve the experience. But a physical product with ingredients, you know, with a great bottle and all of these things, a lot of me is like, you know, there's not much else you can do to improve experience, but that's not true. There actually is, there's all these wise insights that come up all the time. So yeah, the trick uh, is genuinely like consistently being super curious and asking why the whole time. 
Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love the answer. That's super. Yeah, I love that. And so many other companies should be doing that kind of grabbing, grabbing the, the learnings from tech and applying to physical products. Our, our world will be much, much better. Right. So you you are co-founder and CEO of Heights, uh, host of Secret Leaders, which is the UK top business podcast um, with over 7 million downloads so far. Uh, you're president of Founders, which is a private network of hundreds of entrepreneurs. You're also an angel investor. You, you and I both recently joined another 12 entrepreneurs, kick-ass entrepreneurs to start Startup Radio on Clubhouse, which we're spending a lot of time on. Uh, you have been hosting a lot of really good sessions on brain care there. So there's a lot of context switching. And I, I, I'm not sure about you, but I feel sometimes quite um, a little bit burned out and, and very you know, overwhelmed when I do a lot of context switching. And how do you keep yourself at the top of your game as a yeah, leader? Yeah, it's a really good question. And you know, the, the truth is I do more context switching than I'm happy to admit. You know, I love to I love to not do that much, but it's find it very difficult. You know, I've got my um, I've got my notebook. I use a digital notebook, and you know, I've got like literally a distraction notebook as well. So like writing down my own distractions. I took that from Near Ayal and Indistractable. Um, but you know, I literally write down all of the the things that are distracting me, why they're distracting me, what it was, etc. And it's embarrassing, right? It's embarrassing how often I get distracted. Um, and it's hard because sometimes it's like it is urgent and it is things I can't really avoid. Um, and sometimes, obviously, it's not. But it's things that, again, the near IL, you know, point of view of like, I'm just avoiding the pain of keeping the focus. Um, so I know I'm definitely no poster boy, I would say, for staying in my flow states really well, etc. But what I do try and do is I do have a very meticulously packed up diary that I really try to keep to. So um, again, this morning was a terrible example, but you know, I technically had flow time between 10 and 11, but I told you already what happened, um, which is that I got interrupted nonstop. Um, but I, um, you know, my, my, my morning exercise, like that's done because it was in my diary already. So I've done that already. I've got two sessions a day for two hours, technically speaking, if I can, where two, so basically four hour window where it's just flow state. And in that, I've got my weekly tasks and I know which ones I'm doing in those two hour periods. And I try and turn off all the other distractions, etc. But I also make time, for example, I, I now put in my diary half an hour for social media. So like that's when I'll go into like Instagram and Twitter and I won't feel bad about like being on it because it's part of what I need to do. Um, but I spend the time doing that and I even spend I even do a a half hour window for just general distractions that might be answering slacks. It might be whatever. And then the one that I haven't nailed at all is email because, you know, I get a deluge and I have literally not figured out yet whether or not I find it easier to do them all in one go or just keep going because I get the anxiety of like 100 emails to, to answer at like 8 p.m. And I'm like, that's really not how I want to unwind tonight. So I haven't, um, I haven't figured out the email part of the, uh, the equation yet. But um, a lot of the other things are about having like a really good... Um, really like if you look at my calendar it looks like I don't have a minute to breathe from 8 a.m to 10 p.m but that's not true because I, I literally put like a nap I've got an hour nap in my calendar every single day which I don't take every day so I don't need a nap every day but if I do that's my nap window and if I don't I use it for something else and it might be work it might be reading it might be another walk it could be anything but what's interesting is like 
because I'm so into this concept of brain care, I'm my own worst enemy, like everyone else. So I literally put in my diary all my rest periods too. Um, you know, my wife is pregnant at the moment, as you know. Yeah, I've got to make you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner for her too, and me. You know, so I literally put in a window of like cooking lunch. You know, it's like everything. So it's is probably it sounds a bit extreme to people, but if you want to make sure that you're not overworking and you want to make sure that you're not basically ignoring your own mental health. For me personally, it's made a massive difference to just stick everything in my diary, including the breaks, including the fun, as silly as that sounds. You know, like Clubhouse has taken over from my switching off on, on Netflix time, but I don't see that as work. I literally see that as having conversations that I love to have. You know, I'm lucky that for me, time spent on Clubhouse really doesn't feel like work. It literally feels like an extension of how I wish I could spend my time anyway. And suddenly Clubhouse has come along and helped me spend my time how I want to spend it. So for me, I, I look at it differently. I think I think that's a that's a very good point. And and I, to, just to your point about you know this this whole concept of of time boxing, um, yeah. If whoever is listening to us right now, please have a go at that. I I've done it. Uh, I started to do time boxing uh, beginning of last year, and it really really revolutionized my day because exactly what you're saying. Suddenly you feel that you are in traction mode, you are intentional, and then you have time for things, you know, and things are more structured, and and that gives you, in a spooky way, it gives you uh, some more freedom to 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 maneuver your day because you have the structure there and you have the reminders that you have to eat, right? That you have to sleep, that you have to go to interact with people, make dinner. Yes, it's, it does. It sounds it sounds silly, um, but the the truth is, who needs to do that? Extremely busy people. Extremely busy people are going to prioritize the tasks and the to dos and the lists and the things, and then they're going to forget about their health. So this isn't advice for everyone. But if you are a person who you know, the most common question I get from everyone is like, how do you manage to do X, Y, and Z all the time? Well, the answer is like. A, some stuff slips, obviously, I'm not perfect, like I don't get everything done. B, I'm not a perfectionist, so, you know, done is better than perfect in my view. And like, if I was a perfectionist, I wouldn't get through most of the stuff that I could. And then C, like I said, I, you know, I make sure that I'm prioritizing my mental health. Now, look, to be honest with you, the pandemic really helps me be productive. As absurd as that sounds, like, you know, not having to get on public transport, going to work, not having to go to meetings to see people to do things. I was so much time wasted, I realise. Um, and like the downside is obviously not being able to see my friends, not having social interactions, but that's where Clubhouse has come in. I don't think Clubhouse is a good replacement for seeing your friends in real life at all, but it's definitely a better replacement than not seeing your friends and just choosing Netflix instead. So, you know, for me, it's like being actually a very helpful period to launch a new business in. As crazy as obviously it sounds in many ways, like our business almost died because of the pandemic multiple times. We've had, you know, COVID outbreaks in the factory and all of this stuff. But um, so, you know, had to shut down production. And so, like, you know, it's stressful to run a physical product business in, in a pandemic where you have human beings, you know, literally making things. You know, that is like quite complicated. But overall, like, I really, really think that it's been hugely to our benefit that we've been able to have the time to manage things properly and not have to spend it pointlessly, essentially traveling around. I genuinely think about how much of my time was spent traveling between places. Uh, it's just literally illogical. 
So a lot of the way that I think about it is I've gained so much time um, over the last year and I've tried to put it into action as productively, but also meaningfully as I possibly can. Doing the things that matter, right? And I guess, you know, from everything you were discussing, you you also like a multi-hyphenate, right? And so uh, you enjoy doing those multiple things and kind of that gives you energy, which is amazing. And, and having this self-awareness and exploring that and, and embracing that is, is super cool. I, I admire everyone who, who's, who's gone for that and said, I don't care what the world thinks of me. I'm a, I'm a multi-hyphenate and I'm going to embrace these multiple identities and things and projects that I have, right? Right. But we know that a lot of investors uh, are kind of, you know, they, they, they usually do not invest in multi-hyphenate founders because they like to see a founder dedicated to one thing all the time. And then you have like all of the, you know, the, the founders of Google and Facebook and even Slack, they all spend their first 10 years at least just doing one thing. Right. So what do you say to those investors? Should we prove them wrong? It is a good Uh, rebuttal, as in it is a very fair point. There's so many data points, and I would be, you know, I'd be lying to say I don't reckon there are probably more data points of very successful founders who had a single focus, because I do appreciate the logic in that. But there are also plenty of examples. You know, what's Jack Dorsey doing, running two of the biggest companies in the world at the same time? You know, there's, there's plenty of examples as well of people with multiple interests because we're human beings and we have different sides to our personalities filling up their cup and energy uh you know by having different interests and i personally like as someone who had burnout like one of my reasons for burnout was i was all in on gravel at the time and nothing else and i wasn't happy I didn't have an outlet and what happened was I completely burned out and I had to not work on gravel for the best part of a month, you know, three weeks in bed basically. And like, who does that benefit? And I, I also, I, I've taken time over the last few years to really sort of make sure that the, the different areas are benefiting each other. So I think about stuff as well as like, what skills am I developing? What 10,000 hours of practice am I refining? And how is it going to serve me in my future life? Like how is future me going to benefit from this stuff? So. If you look at Secret Leaders, you know, started off as just a few interviews, but now it's grown into like a little media company with Bootstrap, but we've got two employees now just hiring a third. Um, it's growing really well. I now do way less on Secret Leaders than I used to because I'm not doing any of the booking. Like don't, I literally don't book any talent. I don't do anything except for literally turn up with the research in front mm -hmm. of me. So I basically got to take right. half an hour and you know this as a podcaster, how nice the situation that sounds. I got to take like half an hour to basically research and synthesize the interview questions, which is such a fraction of what I used to do. I'm not making the sales for advertising, like anything anymore. So, you know, there's a lot of this stuff. Uh, sorry, and then the other benefit is like a lot of those people that I've interviewed became the investors in Heights when we had no product because I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a neuroscientist. Well, what the hell have we got? Well. We've got people that be believe in us and they believe in us because I've made friends with them over the last few years. I've asked good questions. That's essentially what a podcaster does. If you are good at your job, you ask good questions. You let the other person talk and you're curious anyway. That's why I started Secret Leaders. And um, it's actually led to me, you know, interestingly, apart from getting the investors, it's then led to me starting the Brain Care podcast at Heights, which that format 
every episode is just 15 minutes because I look at our stats on Secret Leaders and I know that anything over 45 minutes has diminishing returns afterwards. So if it's longer than 45 minutes, it tends to start to get to about 75% completion rates, which means I know that no one like really wants to listen to an hour, generally speaking. I'm starting to learn these things. So I'm like, well, I think interview formats with entrepreneurs, like anything, so for example, like a conversation like this, it might, what I say might make someone rich, right? Someone that you're interviewing that's successful might make someone rich. If you're going to make someone rich um, or wealthier or more successful, they're more likely to listen to a longer episode. If you're talking about how to look after yourself, they're much less likely because we don't literally give ourselves time to think about our, like how to care for ourselves. So I did this insight piece that basically helped me figure out that every episode should be 15 minutes because everything we do at Hype should be as short as it possibly can so people actually make time to do it. Um, it's created this really great system that I've only learned from doing secret leaders and seeing the stats and understanding like the motivations and drivers for how people share podcasts and all this stuff to create a very different type of podcast there, which is just so snappy. It's so completely different. It gets right to the point, you know, but from like a bunch of different experts, um, that like whole experience, like my background in secret leaders has helped me have some of the most inspiring and fascinating scientific and wellness leaders in the world that I love to learn from and getting them in a conversation and then synthesizing what they say down into short, snappy episodes. It's a skill. And I wouldn't be able to do that stuff if I didn't have the secret leaders experience. And um, we, like brain care is growing so much faster. So we only launched it in October. It's just, just past 200,000 downloads all organically. So it's all word of mouth. It's growing really, really fast. And it was cool because I had to start a new podcast strategy. I've never made a podcast strategy before because I just started Secret Leaders. So it was really cool to like sit there and think about what I've learned and how it can apply for like health and wellness and what that means. Um, and I guess like where this is going is like, I am conscious that like, whilst I am a multi-hyphenate, like the things that I do in one place have relevance and skills that I'm learning that I can use in another place to help build story help build brand and for me the things that I really care about as a human being as in my values are spirituality mental well-being contribution and impact so these things like everything that I do in one of my businesses like has to tick one of those boxes realistically and having these kind of conversations um, as a result of where these kind of skills overlap if that makes sense so I think where being a multi-hyphenate would really suck energy is if you're doing stuff that's not aligned with your values. And that's certainly been my experience. Um, you know, with Gravel and Mobula, my company afterwards, that was a SaaS platform, you know, that's just not aligned with my values. Like there was nothing I could say. I did a talk last night on, on Clubhouse on Ikigai, right? So finding your purpose. Um, right. I love that. Yeah, it was amazing, by the way. It was so, it was so interesting. Um just like the, to the people that turn up and talk about like, you know, their, their story of finding purpose. So interesting. But my, my story was very different. My story was at a founders event where a mutual friend of ours, Tom Savage, turned up and did a story on Ikigai and showed this like diagram. And I looked at it and I was running a software company and I was like, oh, my God, I literally don't. I'm not there. No, no, not, I'm no, not in my right no, place. No, I'm not there. Not one of these things is what I'm doing right now. There are four major things, right? What you, we can be paid for, what you're good at, what the world needs, and like a skill. And that's like, not one of these things. If it was one, maybe I'd be like, okay, I'm on the way. But 
seeing a visualization of what I wasn't doing with my life and that I was the CEO, I was like, that is absurd. So um, that was a turning point for me because I was like, not only am I going to seek to do this and to find it, but also it's a wake up call that I'm not doing any of it. And um, and I think that's really important, right? Is that like to be a multi-hyphenate, to get energy, even in the context of context switching and doing various things, it's all about knowing that what you're doing like makes your soul sink. It doesn't matter if we call it heights or secret leaders or founders, like is the activity that I'm presently doing right now feeding my soul and giving me energy? Um, you know, founders, as you know, is like essentially just a giant contribution bucket for me. Like I don't get paid for it. It's literally just helping people all the time. I get so much personal energy from helping someone else. Like that's just what I'm like. It systemizes an opportunity for me to help people all the time. So I get more energy. I like, you know, people always like, well, how do you have so much energy? I'm like, I literally do the things that give me energy. It's really that simple. You know, um, if I feel like, I'm low on energy, then understandably I'll stop. But like I said earlier, you know, I optimize my rest. I optimize my sleep. I make sure that I don't, you know, I don't take any of these things for granted at all. And I think that's the other secret, right? It's like the amount of neuroscientists that I've now interviewed, you know, sleep is always number one for them. So seven or eight hours uh, if I can. And if I can't, I'm obviously having a baby later this year. And Really interesting studies, obviously. It's got to be a new challenge. But it's really interesting because everyone says, um, everyone talks about, so we work with a sleep scientist at Heights and everyone talks about the baby period, right? So, you know, for like five years, you won't sleep, etc. And it's really interesting because there is no evidence whatsoever in society that parents, because if you think about how simple this, the scientific study is, it's parents versus non-parents. There is no evidence of parents having a shorter life, more mental health problems or anything than non-parents, um, which is really interesting because it's sort of also counterculture to the whole sleep narrative, right? Which is if you don't sleep, you're going to be X, you're going to be Y. But over the long term, parents who are completely sleep deprived in the millions, there's no evidence that it makes a massive long term difference. So a lot of the impacts on the on the issues are apparently shorter term. So whilst I'm not looking forward to that period at all, um, I'm definitely getting my sleep and rest in right now. And I think this is the thing, you have to sort of accept that things might change. But for me, it's all about knowing where I'm going in the long term. And I think knowing that I'm not going to be a massive mess long term by having a daughter like helps me feel like, <laughs> like I, could, I might be able to handle it, maybe. A quick intermission of our fantastic conversation to recommend a new podcast hosted by Facebook's VP for Europe, the Middle East and Africa, Nicola Mendelssohn, and the co-founder of Founders Forum, Brent Hoberman. Now Then 10 explores how the world's most influential communities from global movements to Gen Z brands come to life. My friends Nicola and Brent as the driving forces behind these communities to share the secrets of their success. Guests include movie legend and campaigner Richard Curtis, the founder of Beauty Pie, Marsha Kilgore, and Depop CEO Maria Raga. Now Then 10 is now available on Apple, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. You've finished this conversation. Go and check them out and come back for more Hypercurious. Okay, back to our conversation. You said so many things I would love to, to kind of drill down into the details. But one thing that really got my attention is the fact that the moment that you have the full awareness 
of the things that really give you energy and you embrace that as a multi-hyphenate, that creates this kind of snowballing of, of the goodness that creates around your life because you, you actually, you might not be doing something that has a very short-term benefit, but it will come back to you in a year's time to, to your point about secret leaders now contributing to brain care. And of course, the way that you, talk, that, that you think about brain care podcast as being shorter form, but, but, but kind of wanting people to, to retain, right? To, to frequently go there. So everything kind of connects because you're so connected to your purpose. And I think this is so beautiful. Really, really, that's really good to hear. So any investors who are listening to us right now, pay attention to this because this is the, 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 the flip side of the story that we usually don't hear from yeah. uh, founders who are multi I mean, the flip side is, is not burning out. So you don't, yeah. you don't burn out if you're happy How with do you what do you're that? doing. How? <laughs> well, I think I, yeah, I think exactly. I think I think That's it's listening fair. to yourself, and I do think that there is an issue. I mean, we've had a conversation about it, right? On Clubhouse, there's a bunch of eighteen-year-old life coaches. I mean, maybe they've got it all figured out at eighteen, but I think some of this stuff takes time. And I think you know, it's not about saying go find your icky guy and expecting to find it tomorrow and any of this stuff. That creates like a false pressure in society as well. But. I think over time you learn what things give you energy and what things don't give you energy. And, you know, you talk to successful people and so often they'll tell you about like the trigger points in their life that contributed to their success, usually happening in their mid thirties, about 35, 36, you know, I discovered X, Y, and Z, whatever. That's really common. I mean, I'm not even 35 yet, but you know, I hear this all the time from people. And I think like the, the reason why I'm like maybe ahead of some people on that journey, so to speak, is literally because of my multi-hyphenate attitude. I've tried lots of things. I'm not afraid to try something and accept it wasn't for me. I'm not afraid to try something and shut it down either. You know, I've had eight companies. I've had to shut down five of them. Um, so I failed a bunch of times. And um, I mean, they weren't all failures. I've had two successes and three failures out of that. But the reality is, you know, there's lots of trying and failing. I started at 24, I just got going. Ironically, the first two were successful and then the next three weren't, but that's how it goes. And the reality is, you know, it's just a constant iteration process of asking yourself the question, what am I learning in this experience? And it isn't all about what am I learning about what am I good at? And it isn't all about what am I learning about, you know, why I failed. It's also what am I learning about myself? What am I learning about what I'm enjoying and what I'm not? You know, a few years ago, I thought that, the answer to that question was I'm loving, I'm loving people loving gravel, right? I'm loving, my ego is just loving all the attention. I'm loving that we're in the paper all the time. We're in the Sunday Times, the Times, the Guardian, like all the time, like every month, Vogue, like you name it. And I was just like, so proud. And for a long time, I just thought like, God, this is so great. Everyone loves me. And in the end, like I learned about myself that it literally didn't matter. As in I li literally was misunderstanding. These were short-term things. None of them were filling up my cup, so to speak. For the long term, none of that had any emotional impact on what I was seeking. And it took time to learn that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, on reflection, I don't think there's anything wrong with believing that your ego needs that stuff. And for some people, that literally is what they need as well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. I think that that's great. I think people should lean into that. If you learn that public adulation and things like that are the things that make your heart sing, great. 
because those are the people who also become the greatest singers, the greatest actors. You know, these are people who lean into that stuff. Um, they they make the world a better place in their own way as well. So there's literally nothing wrong with it. However, it just wasn't for me, but it takes time to learn that stuff. So it's the curiosity to ask yourself, what is working for my spirit? Where am I getting my energy? And that is a constant question you need to ask yourself. It does take time. And I think sometimes we want to accelerate that discovery. And, and a lot of people say that sometimes your purpose and, and embracing who you are comes from your biggest struggle, right? And, and when you're so young, you never had any big struggle or, you know, you might have, depending on where you, you, you were born, right? But, you know, it's, uh, you have to go through life and go through the failures to, to understand how you deal with that and to understand more about yourself and what is your inner peace and your in a drive that I, I love that. Um, 72% of entrepreneurs suffer from mental health issues, right? So we're talking about kind of burnout here and et cetera. And I know they've been very open about, about burnout and, and all, all sorts of things about mental health. What do you think we're not doing right? Uh, very simply, we're not taking care of our brain. And I don't think that's just entrepreneurs. I think that's a huge swathe of the population. There's some, like there's so many different issues here, but the first one is just people overworking themselves and not giving themselves the space. So the first thing is, you know, and I talk about space, I talk about doing a lot of stuff, but, you know, I talk about giving myself, like I said, giving myself time to sleep, giving myself time to rest. Um, these are important. They're in my diary. So the first one is like the overwork. The second one is, is in my opinion anyway, not listening to your body as well and obviously your mind so there's this you know very common uh, mental health problems like well for entrepreneurs obviously burnout but anxiety i think anxiety is such an interesting one because anxiety is the most common one that entrepreneurs feel and the reason they feel that is because anxiety is a mental health symptom of thinking about the future so that is what anxiety is. Anxiety is basically being here, but imagining you're there. So that like is an issue. Now, entrepreneurs have to be here and imagine that they're there. So those two things are inextricably linked. And to constantly be thinking about the future is what will give you anxiety, yet we have to do that. So, you know, there is a, a challenge, right? There is a challenge in that dichotomy. And I think that from my own personal experience, just trying to find some space, some time for yourself, even if it's 10 minutes, you know, we call it mindfulness, we call it meditation, but, you know, I think that also those terms can be really off-putting for people because they're like, well, I can't clear my mind for 10 minutes. Sometimes it can be as simple as just 10 minutes of not working and not thinking and not watching TV and not being on Clubhouse and not doing anything, but just- Watching the skies. Right? Yeah, exactly, like <laughs> yes. you do. So just 10 minutes to just ponder. And for me, actually, you know, having cats is perfect for that. Having pets is amazing because, you know, pets will take you out of what you're doing and you'll just sort of stare at them for a while and stroke them. That's meditating as far as I'm concerned. So these are like simple things that you can you can definitely do to break up all that anxiety. But, um, you know, beyond all of that, there are so many things we don't know commonly about how to improve our mental health. So, you know, in my experience, my anxiety and insomnia was literally a nutritional issue. That was so common that the dietitian that I met not only diagnosed me, I didn't say the rest of the story, she not only diagnosed me in like a minute, 
and told me to take DHA omega-3 supplements, B vitamin complex and blueberry extract, not to go to Holland and Barrett, not to go to Boots, but to go to Planet Organic and Whole Foods where it's expensive and fancy and whatever, but they work. Um, she was very specific and I did those things. And when they worked, I called her up like a week later and was like, oh my God, you've changed my life. Thank you so much, blah, 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 blah. And she was just like, yeah, I know. No passion, <laughs> no emotion. Couldn't wait to get me off the phone. Not particularly good bedside manner lady, but um, so convinced, so 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 aware that they would work. Do you know, she basically never expected to hear from me again because she's like, take these, they work. Just shut up. Um, and it's kind of like that was also part of the crazy thing to me is like the nonchalance of her complete and utter expectation that what she'd given me would work when I'd suffered for five and a half months like that. So. You know, one of the things we do at Heights is always to talk about the scientific studies with the d different nutrients, the things that are in our product. The most common feedback we get is around sleep. Um, the second one is anxiety. And the reason is because nutrition plays a big part in this. And I'm not saying that Heights, you know, and our smart supplement solves all different mental health issues. But what I'm saying is our go-to as people when we have a mental health problem is to say it's my environment. You know, I've had an argument with a friend or I'm lonely, I'm not talking to a friend or I've got problems all the time in my life. And they're all on a psychological level. You know, these are the first things we think of when we have mental health problems. Everything is psychological, but that's not true. Some of it is biological. Um, that is where nutrition and hydration come in. You know, you're more likely to be getting into flow states, feeling really awake and full of energy all the time by having like a bottle of water every hour than you are by having a bunch of coffees. By the way, coffee is really good for your brain, generally speaking. I, I personally don't have it after two o'clock because of, you know, an insomnia sufferer wouldn't. You cannot yeah. sleep and then you yeah, create the cycle. Yeah, an insomnia sufferer that's overcome would never really uh, yeah. drink coffee after two. However, um, you know, whilst coffee is good for your brain. Try matcha. Yeah, matcha yeah. Matcha latte is yeah, good. Yeah. Matcha latte is that's good. That's true. Um, but whilst, whilst coffee is actually good for your brain in the long term, like that feeling of energy and that kick you need, like you will genuinely get more out of water. But people don't think these things. So I think some of the answer to your question is like awareness. That's why as a brand, our whole job is in introducing the concept of brain care, right? Which is the yes, psychological. Yes, sort your friendships out. Yes, don't be lonely. Yes, go and like call someone and have a conversation. But also, by the way, did you know nutrition, hydration going to make a big difference? It does. It does. And I, I feel totally my energy changing when uh, when I have when I go into an indulgent pizza in the evening. And then when I wake up the following morning, I'm like, what have I done to, to myself? You know, what have I? Yeah, that's no nutritional value yeah. there. And, and this, it just changes my mood completely. It does, but it's hard. And so many things. Right. And, and those simple things. And, and you just don't you're not aware of that, because I also guess that when you're younger, you kind of, your body takes on everything, right? And then you start feeling the, yeah, your body needs different nutrition as you grow older to keep going, to keep the, the energy levels it high. It does, and the other thing is that your brain is shrinking from the age of 25. You know, this isn't my opinion, this is a fact. Every single human being's brain is shrinking from the age of 25, and there is so much evidence to the fact that B vitamin complex and omega-3s in supplements, so this is in scientific studies with supplements, not even in whole foods, are shown to demonstrate that the shrinkage slows considerably. And why that's interesting is because in later life, um, you know, these are studies done at Oxford University uh, by Professor David Smith, who was the head of pharmacology. You know, 
He was testing for Alzheimer's and dementia with high supplementation doses of B vitamins and omega-3s. And basically the canopy of your brain is, is essentially what's decaying. So the outer layer is sort of decaying and it creates these holes, these spots, basically, where the synapses are not communicating with each other. And that's why you'll do things like uh, with Alzheimer's, you'll forget your location. You won't know where you are suddenly because that is literally like part of what, what isn't triggering. So there's this gap in the synapse. Um, sorry, in the synapses speaking to each other. So suddenly you might be confused about the place you are. Anyway, so his studies show that the B vitamin, B, literally B vitamin complex and omega-3s together help feed the brain and stop the shrinkage. And he had like, the thing with scientific studies is they can take years and years to publish. So it's still an ongoing study, um, but it's like five years in, but with thousands of people, he's been able to demonstrate the, the cohorts that had high supplement dosage not only were stopping the cognitive decline from getting worse, but starting to reverse it, which is super, super, super interesting. So that is still an ongoing project, but like his hypothesis is really simple, which is that our brains are organs made of matter. These are the nutrients that feed that matter. So if you are feeding your brain regularly with what it literally needs to eat to stay healthy, then the decay will slow and you might not suffer from the same thing. So, you know, that is true of a lot of cognitive um, decline problems, right? So it's not all just about Alzheimer's and dementia, but if your brain is shrinking from the age of 25 and you want to slow it, then making sure that you are literally doing something about it is the most sensible thing that we can do. But again, people aren't aware of this. You know, there is no broader understanding of it. Again, everyone focuses on the psychology, not the biology. People don't talk about that. So what, what have you been seeing as like as being the cutting edge of brain cognitive enhancement? Are, are there like specific research or products, advice, games, which you believe that people are not adopting now, but they're going to be adopting like in 10 years time? It's a good question. I am always like, it's interesting because I, I think like relatively skeptically on a lot of things because... I guess my own experience, like building this company has been that there is a 1% of people who get into a giant argument with each other, which probably isn't very good for their mental health, ironically, about which new nootropic powder gives them which percentage of extra cognitive performance load, you know, versus another. And to me, it's like, those gains are so marginal. Most people, um, and this is where we, we sort of focus on with heights, but most people do nothing, right? So the 1% that already do a lot, spend all their time thinking about optimizing, optimizing, optimizing. By the way, when you spend that much time optimizing, you're sacrificing loads in your life as well. So we don't need to use a brain analogy. Let's use like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like bodybuilding analogy. It's like, if you want to become Mr. Universe, you become obsessed. you've got nothing else in your life. So, you know, you look at these people who are in that 1% and they don't have balance, they don't have relationships, they don't, I mean, I'm, I'm being extreme here, right? But we all have the same 24 <laughs> hours a day. So if all you do in that 24 hours a day is think about how to optimize, 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 you are literally sacrificing having basically a much healthier, what I call wheel of life. So if you think about most people that have normal lives, they have normal jobs, they have relationships with friends and partners and kids and all of these other things and work and like everything is just like, you know, a bunch of different inputs in their life. The question that we ask ourselves is how can we help them look after their brain without taking up more of their time? 
um, because most people are not doing very much of it. And when everything becomes overwhelming, you know, they, they suffer from that stuff. So, you know, that's not, that's not directly answering your question, but I guess it's because that's where I spend more of my time is on that 99%, not the 1%. This being said, you know, I use a, a headset uh, from a company called Mendy. I don't use it that often, but like once a week I use it. And it's like a, a phone app basically that does neurofeedback. Um, it just helps you meditate. So literally I wear this headset and I stare at my phone and I move the ball with my mind. I'm not touching anything. So like literally I'm thinking. Does it work? Yeah, it works. It works. Yeah. So does it work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I compete against Melissa and uh, my wife, and I absolutely smash her out the park, which is great because she's always telling me that. Because she, she doesn't meditate. And now you're using flow to create competition. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But she doesn't meditate, so she's always like, "Oh, I'm going to come in and beat you," and then I'm infinitely better, which is much, which is great, great to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the point of that one is literally just to try and help you keep your focus. So it actually works really well. Um, and so stuff like that, I think, is really interesting. I think that, that um, anything that can help you sort of clear your mind and, and think, you know, think about how to get space for a period of time is the trick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like where you're going because it, there is something about reducing friction and making it simple and making it quick and making something that you instantly have some reward, right? So if you're staring at the screen and, and feeling that you're actually moving the ball on the screen for like 10 minutes, there is something very rewarding on that. And hopefully it's giving you the, yeah, the, right, the right state of mind to, to exercise your brain into that direction. Exactly. And it's fun. It's gamified, you know. You get a little trophy. It's quite nice. <laughs> you get, oh, I get a trophy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, knowing everything that you know about brain enhancement, about uh, mental health improvement and etc., what are the worst ways that mental health can be perceived and manifested in the workplace? And how do you deal with that with your team members? Are there like, you know, top two, top three tips that you would give to entrepreneurs listening to us on how to detect when it's happening and how to make the best workplace for them? Um, it's a tricky question and it's a good question. I guess like the way that I'd answer it is I think like mental health policies and stuff start from the top. Now it's obviously implied that as we're a brain care company, it's something that we care about a lot. But we, for example, have our, our mental health sick day policy. It reflects our sick day policy for your physical body. So you can literally call off sick for a mental health sick day. You don't have to describe what's happening to you or anything, but, you know, you can take it. The other thing is um, we have full insurance for every employee, including mental health cover, which means that you can get therapy and we pay for it. Um, well, I mean, we don't pay for it. The insurance pays for it, but you, you get my point. So we try and encourage, you know, people to take this stuff seriously. Like, it's not that everyone is, everyone needs therapy and it's not that everyone needs to take it, but it's the choice. And it's, there's two things. Like, one is meant to, like therapy costs money. Like, taking that cost away from the, the decision of whether or not to look after yourself if you need it is really important. And then the second side to it is you know, making sure you know that culturally this is acceptable in our company. So, you know, I have my therapy every two weeks. Um, I do it during work hours again, and I make it clear to everyone that I'm doing it during work hours so that, you know, it's part of my performance as a leader is to make sure that I'm having therapy. And I think that stuff is surprisingly not communicated so often in companies, right? So it's not really a common thing, but... I honestly feel extremely passionately that if you look at the mental health problem across the world 
Um, you look at the sheer numbers. I mean, let's just use the UK as an example because it's obviously where our listeners are here. The reality is, I think something like 60% of all employees in the UK are working in small to medium-sized businesses, right? So 60% of a uh, you know, large, large population country are working in small to medium-sized businesses. So startups and therefore entrepreneurs that are leading those companies have a massive impact in theory on the livelihoods of tens of millions of people, which means that, you know, I know there's loads of different approaches of how to how to look at uh, mental health and how to make an impact in society. And there are great people at the moment campaigning for mental health teaching in school, etc. And that is absolutely the right approach. But my point of view is, you know, looking at it from an entrepreneur lens, you've got millions of something like six million businesses in the UK that classify as small to medium sized enterprises. So what if those six million entrepreneurs, which is essentially what that is, what if they all had mental health sick day policies? What if they all got mental health insurance and they all represented best in class mental health training for their employees? You would suddenly have, in my opinion, in one fell swoop, the biggest impact that you could have on mental health um, uh, uh, behaviors, and mental health problems and comfort around mental health for people in the whole country um, by just tackling that. So like literally by getting entrepreneurs to change their policy, by getting entrepreneurs to think about how their own behaviours with mental health manifest inside their organisations, that one thing would make more of an impact on how people feel about their own mental health in the whole country. So if you extrapolate extrapolate it globally, it becomes really obvious to me that a really, and sad because, you know, I don't have the time to campaign, but I often think about this, which is that if I was doing no work right now, what would my mission be? What would I do? And it would probably be to spread this exact message, which is that the most impactful person that can impact the mental health crisis is actually like founders and C-suite of companies. It's as simple as that. I love that. And, and, and that requires so much courage from, uh, from the leader's perspective as well to empathize and to say, hey, we all suffer from that. And, and I think you do it brilliantly and you're very open about that. And I admire you so much because of that. It's so much needed. Um, what are you most curious about at the moment? Hmm. I guess the honest truth is I'm most curious about what parenthood is going to be like. So I'm most curious, I'm, you know, I'm having a daughter. I've actually always wanted a daughter, so that works really well for me. I'm really curious about how to be a responsible father. I like to think of myself as extremely liberal. Um, I'm very pro all sorts of things. You know, I don't believe in putting rules on people. I think drugs should be completely legalized, etc., etc., etc. And I'd love to challenge my own views when I have a daughter, you know. I'd love to, I don't want to be a restricted father. I think that, um, you know, adults, uh, well, human beings should be able to make their own decisions and given good guidance, but ultimately given their own decisions and stuff. And I'm really curious to find out when push comes to shove, am I really living by my beliefs or are my beliefs going to change? And do I become the stereotype that everyone else becomes, you know, or do I stick to my guns and say, actually, I want, I want to, you know, I want to raise my kid by my own values. I think it's a really interesting question and I have no idea. I've started asking my mum all of these questions as well, you know, like, you know, why are you so interested in having a grandkid? Is it ego? Is it like this desperation to have like your DNA replicated? Like, when does that happen in your life? Because I wasn't desperate to have a kid because I don't have that like 
thing. And, you know, is it because you're nearing the end of your life that suddenly you get into a panic? Is it because I'm not near the end of my life that I'm not that bothered? You know, it's not like I don't want my daughter, but it's like there's no desperate desire in me to have a child. And so I was asking those questions. And then, you know, my mum, who, you know, is very anti-drugs and anti-lots of things and, you know, uh, and being that way never worked with me, right? So I'm like, you know, were you always that way or was it because you had a kid? And what do you think, knowing by how you parented me and how I've ended up, which is basically the opposite of what you wanted, um, you know, how has that impacted you? And I think it's just great to have these questions with my mum, like, you know, figuring out what the right thing is, because kids will always, I guess, end up doing the opposite of what you want, right? So for that perspective as well, I'm like, you know, genuinely, how have I turned out compared to what you were intending me to be and think like and do? And there's like a really interesting curiosity in that, which is like, if I want my daughter to turn out a certain way, do I try and raise her the opposite? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, I want to be your friends in 20 years time so we can have this conversation, validate what happened. Yeah, right? exactly. I love it. <laughs> exactly. I, love yeah. it. I can't wait I love to find it. out if I'm just a giant hypocrite or not, but we will find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Any last words or messages that you want to leave to these amazing people who are listening to us right now? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd love everyone to, I'd love to encourage everyone to take care of their brain properly. So make space in your diaries, di like literally put in your own calendar space for naps. Naps are awesome, by the way. Um, you only need half an hour. It doesn't need to be anything major. Make space for walking every day. That's my number one hack, full stop. And then obviously don't neglect nutrition. So you can find out loads of information on the Heights website, which is yourheights.com. Um, we've got pages set up that are helpful for people like yourheights.com forward slash sleep, forward slash anxiety, forward, you know, all different things. So my point is there are lots of different ways in which um, we neglect nutrition as part of the solution. And I think it all comes back down to this. It's not all psychology. A lot of it is biology. So take back control and actually, to your own surprise, discover why that stuff actually works. I love it. I take heights every day, so I totally recommend it. I know it. you do. Thank Long -term you so customer. much, Dan. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. It's been incredible. And I, yeah, thank you for this interview. And I'm sure everyone had so much value from this conversation. And I have to tell you that I still have another 10 questions to you, but I'm going to leave it for the next time. Yeah, so maybe two. we do part two at some point. Amazing. Thanks, Peter. Thank you so much for listening so far. Make sure that you listen to other episodes. You can go to hypercurious.fm. And if you want to stay in touch, I'm around. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You just search for my name and you're going to find me. If you love this conversation and more, make sure that you also do a five star and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. If that's your preferred podcast app, it will mean the world to me. For now, ciao, ciao.